Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Iron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Block Talk Radio. Oscar Lopez here can be joined momentarily by college uh, football guru Troy Wilson alongside WFA All-Star Holly Custis. We're going to be talking NFL Week 2, college football Week 3. We're going to dive into uh, women's news and notes as well as the uh, gridiron uh, scene in Australia. Uh, so um, for all the people out there in Mexico as well as the hurricane uh, issues happening on the East Coast in the U.S., uh, it's just one Give everybody, you know, send out prayers to them. Keep uh, safe. I know it's not the best of circumstances. Uh, unfortunately, Mother Nature doesn't, uh, you know, give us anticipation as to what things are going to happen. So, um, you know, we hope everybody's cooperating and, you know, try to get to safer shelter in, in instances with the hurricane and obviously with earthquakes, just making sure they're safe and uh, back to some sort of normality. So, um but that, that's the reality that we live in, in in our world. Sometimes that happens depending on the, where you reside and where you live, and that's uh, something that uh, happens often sometimes in certain regions. So, uh, so to all the hurricane uh, victims out there between Texas and Louisiana and all the way on the East Coast now, we're, we hope everybody's um, in better state. And if you are told to move, I would say move. <laughs> it's better to be safe than sorry. And uh, so uh, – going to open it on that note because I know there's a lot of things going on in the world besides sports. And so uh, we kind of dive into sports a lot and we totally forget about reality. So that's the reality of things happening. So prayers out to Mexico and to all the people out in the East coast as well. So um, guys, um, Sunday night game was pretty good. Uh, the Monday night game was not so good. The Thursday night game, probably not as well. And then uh, during the week on NFL Sunday, some of those games were like defensive games. I mean, they came down to, either bleak offenses, I don't know what we call it at this point, or really good defenses. So, um, Holly, let's start with you. What, what did you think of the, the Niners and Seahawks? I mean, they didn't – I mean, it was like 6-6 the whole time until uh, towards the last of the fourth quarter. Well, um, there's a couple of things. Uh, the Niners' defense uh, has improved a lot since last year, which makes me really happy. Uh, we got a lot of pressure on Wilson. Uh, we made him uncomfortable. We hit him. We sacked him. The pressure that we brought made me feel that we were improving a lot on defense. And I, I liked what I saw there. On offense, the Niners had no passing offense at all. And it really – when because I, I watched the entire game, and I kept thinking – gosh, if we could get anything from Hoyer or anything in the passing game, we should win this game. Our run game was there. Hyde rushed for over 120 yards. Um, You looked really good. We were getting chunks of yards up the middle. Couldn't get anything in the air. And, you know, I really think we have a hole at quarterback right now. Hoyer either needs to step up or we need to look at C.J., um, our rookie, or we may need to look at other options for next year, but it's just not existent there. Um, the Seahawks still have offensive line problems. 
And I think what the Seahawks are coming across is they're having a, kind of an identity crisis. They've been built uh, to be a power-running team first, and it's why Wilson and Lynch work so well together. And now that Lynch is gone and their offensive line is not there, they're struggling to find a running game. I think they found their next decent running back in Chris Carson, this guy that came out of nowhere. Uh, I like what I saw from him on on the rushing attack, but they still need a lot of work on that area. And if they're going to get into the playoffs and make a run, they have to fix their running game and their offensive line. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It was basically a game of field goals for a really long time. And the Seahawks, when they scored their touchdown, really it was because Wilson finally decided to put the game on his shoulders and started running himself. Other than that, the Seahawks had no offense the entire game either. So I think, you you know, that game is kind of an example of what the games are, have been so far. There are there's some good defenses out there, but offensive line play is down, and offenses, for the most part, have not gelled yet. Hey, Troy, you called it. You said this was going to be a tight game. You called it last week. You said the opportunity was there for the Niners to pull the upset, and it really almost came down to that. Yeah, I mean, it just I mean, when, when you look at the 49ers, the one thing that you saw uh, early in the preseason and some of the, you know, the pickups that they had in the offseason with Solomon Thomas is that they were going to be really stout up front. Um, they can run, really run at the linebacker position, but that defensive line is, is, is outstanding. I mean, you're looking at guys like Armstead, and, and I mentioned Solomon Thomas, uh, strong on the defensive front, and that really hasn't changed. And so watching Seattle struggle mightily with Green Bay's defensive line, and, you know, Green Bay, uh, you know, other than Mike Daniels, I mean, no one really scares you on that front. Well, Clay Matthews, of course, but no one, you know, other than that, no one really scares you. And they were just, they were just thrown around like ragdolls. And so knowing that the Seahawks had that many injuries on the offensive line, you figured they would struggle against a very, very strong and stout uh, defensive line. Um, if the 49ers could have mustered any amount of points, and, and as, as Howie alluded to, um, they are struggling at the quarterback position. If they would have gotten any kind of production from the quarterback position, that game probably wouldn't have been close. But, I mean, it just, even if they had a really good quarterback, I mean, they are playing against one of the better defenses in the league. But if they could have just mustered anything, uh, they actually did run for 100 yards in that game, which I was very surprised about. Um, and so that's also one of the things that you look at from the Seahawks' perspective. Now, the Seahawks, they spent a lot of money on that defense, but what they're starting to lack is they're starting to lose those players elsewhere. So in, in case in point of that offensive line, they cannot protect Russell Wilson. I mean, he's going to be running for his life this entire season. So I hope hope he's up as far as, like, you know, his, you know, finding ways to recuperate. And, you know, some of these guys got these little Michael Jackson bags where they can – you know, get inside these hyperbaric chambers. He, I hope he's invested in one of those because he's really going to have some pain this off season and during the season as well. Yeah, and, and that was the key that you said. That was one of the games that we were going to be looking at, and it actually came almost true that Niners were almost going to pull that upset against Seattle. Um, Holly, we got to Los Angeles. Uh, the Redskins, I think they had a Coach McVay's number. I think they knew what he was going to run, what he's going to do, and – they just get away with a win, primarily, uh, you know, within six points. 
but we expected that coming in. We knew Washington understood the coach and was going to play to that. Goff makes a, you know, a mistake there towards the end. They could have tied it, but reality is they pretty much knew what he was, what his game plan was going to be. So uh, onus is on him because he did take it. He did take uh, responsibility for the fact that his play calling towards the end there on the two minute uh, offense was probably not the best selection. So uh, Washington gets, gets that win, a must win for them too. Um, LA not so much because I think they're just in a weaker division. So we're going to be playing this kind of, up one, down one, I think, in the West so much. But in the East, it's a crucial win. I definitely think so. Um, you know, it's one of those games, I think, that the Redskins just kind of held on um, at the end there. And then, you know, uh, I think Jared Goff has improved a lot since last year with this new coaching staff, but I still think there's going to be he's going to be that type of quarterback that you're going to see growing pains with. He's going to be productive, and then make that mistake that you're just scratching your head and you're like, oh, why did he throw that ball? Um, but I was I was happy to see the Rams. Uh, Todd Gurley seems to also be improving from last year with the new coaching staff, so they really need him to be a staple of that offense to take that pressure off of golf so that he uh, doesn't have – as much pressure, the defense will have to do more honest if they know that uh, Gurley can run the ball. I think the Redskins, it's definitely a must-win for them. I still like Kirk Cousins. One week he's he's great, the next week he's not. He kind of reminds me of your UCLA Bruins. It's just you can't. He's so unpredictable that he's predictable. Uh, but it's yeah, definitely a big exactly. win. They they needed they needed that win. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them going forward. They're kind of a wild-card team. Troy, you said uh, Washington here, opportunity for them, um, and you did call it. You also said, you know, Los Angeles, if if they make mistakes on offense, they're not going to get keep up with it. And the Redskins' defense did bring it this, this week, so they, they pretty much played really well. And so L.A. makes a crucial mistake in the fourth quarter, and that's the difference. So – um, you you got to give it to the Redskins this week. Yeah, and I think um, the biggest thing, the, the greatest talking point here in the, in the D.C. area was number one, how the defense fared. But the you know the but I guess the greatest talking point was I, I think what you know Sean McVay was prepared for is for Kirk Cousins to try to throw it around the yard, and the Redskins ran the ball thirty nine times for two hundred and twenty nine yards. I mean, that hasn't been the Redskins around here since maybe Stephen Davis. I mean, they, you know, for 229 yards, I don't think anyone was expecting that, let alone, you know, a coach that used to be here because I don't think we ran for that many yards in his tenure uh, as offensive coordinator and also as an assistant here. And so what the Redskins did was they controlled the ball. I mean, if you hold the ball for 39 – excuse me, for 36 minutes – you know, you're keeping that offense on off the field, and they didn't really get a chance to get back in rhythm. I think if they would have given the ball to Ty Gurley a little bit more, the, you know, the, the game might have had a different result. And, you know, it was already a closed game as it is. But, you know, for the Redskins to come out there and run the ball down their throat the way that they did and also to play defense in the, in the biggest spots. And what they did was they took away their outside receivers. I mean, uh, Cooper Cup. He had a pretty good game, and Gerald Everett, uh, their tight end, he had a good game, and those guys really play on the inside and in the slot, respectively. But, you know, on the outside guys, they didn't really have that much of an impact in the game with Sammy Watkins, only two catches, 
Uh, Robert Woods, one catch. Tavon Austin only had one catch. I thought they would have got him the ball a little bit more. So you got to take your hats off to the Redskins defense and also for that running game, that offensive line really got things going against a pretty stout defensive line for the Rams. Yeah, and the, the, I was disappointed in the Ram D because I don't think they br- they they brung it, and Donald, uh, his second you know timeout in this year, somehow didn't come through. So uh, I was kind of like just hurt by the fact that they just couldn't get over the hump versus a pretty good close game. Uh, kind of we'll see how we'll see how they do against the Niners. Uh, the measuring stick I think was against Washington, and they didn't pass the test against the Niners. It's uh, either going to be. The 6-6 Seattle versus Niner game in the West, that's what I'm anticipating. It's going to be either field goals or in that aspect of it. So we'll see how they do this Thursday against uh, San Francisco. Um, Holly, Detroit, Just we already knew Detroit was really good offensively uh, against the Giants who are banged up here. Um, where does this leave New York? Two weeks out, 0-2. They didn't really muster any offense. No defensive real pressure. And Detroit just kind of runs away with it uh, in a way. And the, with weapons, you know, they got Jones and, and company there with uh, Stafford shining light here in, in this in this week, too. So uh, where's the Giants in this East Coast, in the NFC East? Because they're sliding. <laughs> because uh, Washington's winning. Philadelphia lost by similar to the Rams against Washington. So it says that obviously they're competitive in some aspect. But they lost to a better team, which is Kansas City. And uh, Troy called it, you know, he said, you know, Kansas City was going to come in and really, you know, win in, in Philadelphia, which uh, they beat Philadelphia. So that's bottom line. But the East here, the Giants are just almost as bad as the Colts in a way. I think, honestly, that the Giants are they're coming into the season. A lot of people uh, were hyping them. And I, I think that they're overrated. I think that that window is starting to close on this team. I never re- – Eli Manning is one of those quarterbacks that I think he has to be the worst quarterback that's ever won a Super Bowl, in my opinion. And it's crazy because he's won two. And you're like – and then you're like, wait, is Eli Manning – like this guy, I don't know if you've ever seen – I don't know, like five years ago when they were in the NFC Championship against the Niners, and he tried to call a timeout he didn't have, and he did this dance. And I, we had to, like, stop and rewind and watch this dance because it was just like I couldn't understand how a professional football player, the, the face of the franchise, could do something like that. It looked like a child throwing a fit. And so that guy is your quarterback, and he's, to his credit, he's very durable, and then he's hanging in there, but then you have Odell Beckham that has injury issues and and, and there's locker room issues with, with people feeling like he, he's more about the show's Odell Beckham rather than the team. And then the defense, I think, is, is not as good as people thought it was going to be. I really think that they're going to end up on the bottom of this division. And um, Holly, you think, you think Beckham's like on Westman's comp? think Beckham's on Workman's comp. He's just collecting a paycheck now because he doesn't seem like he wants to come back. And he's just putting up a face yeah. out there just because he's his name. But what I'm saying is, like, he, he's a crucial piece to this offense. He doesn't come back. It just seems like they're not really that, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. Well, I, I mean, it is a, he is a crucial piece to this offense. But at the same time, if you're 
number one receiver is your entire offense, that there's a problem with the offense. I mean, there should be other people on that team and other talent and other weapons that they can go to that might not be on his level, but at least they can shoulder the, the load. But if your entire offense runs for one player, then you're not an actual good offense. So I think him being injured is really just exposing the rest of their weaknesses. It's not that they can't win uh they can't win without him. It's more now the people are actually viewing, okay, this team is not as good as we thought they were. And um I actually think that he is hurt because that I that hit was uh, pretty legit. I don't think that he yeah. not trying to come back. I do think he probably I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up moving on from the Giants at some point. I don't know when that would be, but it just feels like the window is closing. I'm I'm with you on that assessment. I really think he's uh, pre-acting on himself more so than anything in his future, which, which it's what you need to do as a player. You know what I mean? You don't want to go, in, go back too early and then all of a sudden you got issues personally and then physically, and then all of a sudden you're not as as durable anymore and people are not going to incline for that. Um, uh, Troy... Dallas, was it was it Elliot the problem, or was it Garrett play calling? What happened in Denver? Well, you know, let's let's just, you know, I I, I, I read a lot about, um, you know, and everybody loves it when Dallas loses, unless you're a Dallas fan. But the one thing that you you, you that uh, people really have to pay attention to is that Broncos defense is for real. I mean. You know, Dallas isn't a slouch. They're not just, you know, some, you know, run-in-the-mill team. They're they're a pretty good football team. I mean, they, that team was 13-3. and three. Yeah, they lost a lot of players, especially on the defensive side, but that offense came back intact, and their offensive line was intact except for uh, Doug Free. He retired, and I believe they had one guy that was injured. But, you know, consensusly, most people believe that Dallas has the best offensive line in football, and the Broncos just absolutely took it to them. Dak Prescott looked uncomfortable the entire game. Um, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, he got frustrated because he couldn't find any room to run, and you saw the frustration after a while when Dak threw those interceptions that he didn't even make an effort to go after. To me, that's that's reprehensible, especially how his owner has been going to bat for him this this entire time. You know, with him facing a suspension, so I believe that's just that's that's just egregious on his part. But the Broncos are just a much better team. Um, you know, not a lot of people give uh, Trevor Simeon a lot of respect, but he's a he's a he's a good football player. He's a good quarterback. He's not going to be a guy that's going to go out there and and whip it around a yard for four hundred you know four hundred yards. Uh, but he is efficient. Uh, you know, he's he was twenty two or thirty two, two hundred thirty one yards, and you say, oh, you know, no big deal. But then you look at the big number where it says it's four touchdowns, and then you you know you got to take your hat off to him. But just overall, that Denver team, and then playing in Denver itself is the toughest, one of the toughest places to play. I bet if you go back and look at their win-loss record over the past five years, I would say that they probably lost maybe three or four home games uh, during that stretch. These guys can really play. But, you know, so, but, so in my opinion, you have to take your hat off to the Denver Broncos because they were just that much better team, and they came out, they took it right to them the entire game. Well, if you're playing fantasy football, I presume you're as happy as I am because I do have Simeon, and I did have Denver defense, 
So hats off to me for making the right call. <laughs> Too bad for Dallas. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I just got to pat myself on the back. For that, that call. Uh, to leave with that 103-yard interception return. Yes, sir. You know, like maybe the final series of the game. I mean, that was just a cherry on top of everything, right? Yeah, I mean, and you're, and you're talking defensive points in fantasy football. Yes, sir, we will take them. That's just, just the way it is. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to rub it in, in anybody's face, but I did. Because when you're playing in a league, and you, if you can win good in one week, you know everybody's going to be just coming back to smack you the next week. So uh, this week it was good. <laughs> up and up. Um, Holly, so are we talking Raiders, Denver, and Kansas City as as these front runners in the AFC, because there's really nobody in the NFC that stands out. And I'm talking about like elite teams right now, two and O the Raiders are showing like they're coming to life here. Denver. We already know what they're made of when they, when they step up, Kansas city is probably the surprise of all, but here we are two and O Denver is the NFC, the AFC West here. Is this going to be the best division? I, you know, I, I think so. I think the Raiders, are my sleeper pick now to, to make a Super Bowl appearance. I think they have enough talent that they can knock off the Patriots. I think the Patriots are still going to be the team that everybody has to go through, you know. Um, but I think I think the Raiders have enough. I think Kansas City is a very hot team right now, but I want to see the sustain it for uh, a long period of time. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that the the hot teams seem to be on the AFC side. There's not a lot of movement on the NFC side. Um, it seems like the teams that were supposed to be great on the NFC side are not playing well the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I definitely think the Raiders and the Chiefs are in the, uh, consideration, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I don't think that the I think the Patriots will be in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to make it back to the AFC championship game. I think they're going to get knocked off in the first round. Troy, you called it Brady rebounds. Pretty good, pretty good statement game. Thirty-six twenty. They take care of business against New Orleans. Um, so we no surprise there. Um, wh- what about Antonio Gates? Let's talk about Antonio Gates. What what an impressive uh, you know streak and touchdowns in terms of a tight end and a durable durable player for for San Diego and given San Diego's issues now, you know, with the transfer and moving up to L.A. and everything that's going on. This guy's been a staple for Charger fans a long time. So, all-time leader in TDs this week. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, and you have to put him up there with some of the greatest tight ends of all time. I mean, you got Tony Gonzalez up there, Ozzie Newsome, uh players of that, of that caliber. He's where you mentioned that. Um, and just, you know, just the guy is just, you know, he's 37 years old and he's out there. He's still doing it. Uh, he's got Hunter Henry that's kind of really getting most of his targets now. Uh, he's a young kid that they got last year as a, as a rookie, and, you know, he's coming on this year. But, you know, Antonio Gates, is the, he's the consummate professional, and I, I'm just happy to see him, you know, at least get his name back up, well, up in the record books because he is one of the greatest players of all time. Holly uh, Mariota, you said Mariota would play well, and here we go. It was it was Tennessee against Jacks, Jacks's uh, Jacksonville's first test against Tennessee, and you said this is going to be pretty much an offensive type of game, and here we are, 37-16. Uh, Mariota takes care of business against Jacksonville. So the question is, was was this set a fluke for Jacksonville to beat Houston, uh, or you know what's going on with them at this point? 
I think that Jacksonville is improved, um, especially with Fournette. Um, I think that really helps. But I think really it's Blake Bortles. I think he is who we thought he is. I think he's kind of in a mediocre range of quarterbacks. He's not awful, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to lead you to a championship. And if he does, it's because you have other areas of your team that are stronger and he, he doesn't mess it up. I do think that they still have talent, and I don't think that the, the win in the first week was a fluke. I just I just think the Titans are better. I think the Titans are going to make the playoffs. Um, I, you know, it, it was really nice to see Derrick Henry get more carries um, this week, take advantage of it. He played really well. Um, and... I don't know. I, I'm excited about the Titans. I think they have a lot. They're an up-and-coming team, and uh, we'll see what happens with them. But no, I don't think Jacksonville uh, was a fluke the first week. I think they're strong. They're just a little bit behind the Titans. And not having Robinson there too uh, kind of affects them as well. So playmaker there. Absolutely. So hopefully, hopefully they'll you know he comes back. So Troy, let's uh, let's finish up NFL here. What is the what is the top three games that we need to look for on your end? for the uh, upcoming week, uh, I believe it's week three here in the NFL? Well, the big game for me uh, will be uh, the Raiders against the Redskins. Uh, that's the Sunday night game this week. Um, you know, you, you want to see, I mean, speaking of flukes, um, you want to see if the Redskins can can continue uh, running the ball and, and just kind of squeaking out wins. You see a lot of teams that are starting to do that, just kind of squeaking out wins. Carolina is one of those teams. Uh, they're 2-0. They're squeaking out wins. And you want to see if the Redskins can at least sustain some momentum uh, uh, going forward. The Raiders right now, they they look like a, a Super Bowl team. I mean, you got Marshawn Lynch who's coming back. He has completely energized that entire fan base and that entire team. You really want to you, you, you root for the guy because, you know, for him to take a year off and then to come back playing the way he's been playing, he's just been excellent. And, you know, you got a guy like Michael Crabtree, you know, with him scoring, um, you know, he's, he has three touchdowns on the year. Derek Carr coming back from that injury. This is going to be a very exciting game, and a lot of, it's going to be a lot of focus on that game. So, you know, both of these teams right now, even though the Raiders are 2-0, this should be a pivotal game for them because that's, that really gets the chance to put them on the national stage, and not a lot of East Coast teams really get a chance to see them. Uh, the, th- the second game I wanted to see and, and really going to focus on is the Seahawks versus the Titans. The Titans are actually um, a nightmare matchup for the Seahawks. Um, well, not a nightmare matchup. I'll say it's a, it's a great matchup because you have that great Titans offensive line against that, that Barnett Seahawks defensive line and that defensive front. You want to see how the Titans are going to equip themselves. And so you got a guy like Mariota who hasn't faced the Seahawks team. He has not faced a defense like this. And this will be one of those times where he can be vaulted into the spotlight, into the national spotlight. Most people will sit back and say Mariota's a good quarterback, but not a lot of people have really been paying attention to him. This will be his chance to be, to be the great focus, um, you know, uh, going forward. He can end up being one of the faces in the NFL, not just the Titans franchise. And this is a very pivotal game for them. The other game I wanted to see, the Giants and the Eagles. This is a big NFC East matchup, two rivals that really do not like each other whatsoever. The Giants right now, they're struggling. Everyone can see it, and everybody's wondering what happened to that Vaughn defense. How come they're not stopping people? Well, Jack Rabbit Jenkins, he was out last week. 
so they struggled on, on offense. But the problem that, that they've been having is the offensive line. They can't block anyone, and I mean anyone. And so they already had problems running the ball last year. They had problems pass protecting for Eli Manning. It just seems to be worse this year with Odell Beckham being – he's nursing an injury. He came back. He gave it a go last night. You know, he went out there and he got four catches for 36 yards. Obviously, it wasn't enough for them to get the win. What are they going to do to show it up? Are they going to go to a short passing game? If so, that kind of takes away that deep threat, and that's what their biggest forte is. So how are they going to adjust? The Eagles right now, close loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, they wanted to get that revenge game out in the arrowhead against their old coach, um, you know, and kind of show him, you know, that, you know, uh, where, where, you know, he should have gotten some things done out there. And most people wanted to stick it to Andy Reid, but, you know, it became the opposite. But the Eagles right now, they're confident. They know that they play well against one of the better teams in the NFL. They beat their division rival in week one. So they're still riding high. They have a lot of confidence in Carson Wentz. This will be a very pivotal game. The Giants cannot afford to go 0-3, and, and the Eagles cannot afford to go 1-2 and because everything is very tight in the NFCs. So those are the games that I want to see this weekend. Holly, what's your three uh, matchups that we should be kind of keeping an eye on? Uh, my first one, I think, is Baltimore at uh, Jacksonville. I think Baltimore is kind of a sleeper team. Their defense is still really strong. And Flacco's playing well. Um, I'm kind of curious to see how they do. And I'm also curious to see how Jacksonville does against their defense. I think it'll be a good uh, measuring stick game for both teams. So I definitely want to see what happens with that. Uh, the second game I'm looking at is the Falcons at the Lions. The Falcons the first week struggled, and I think it might have been a little bit of Super Bowl hangover, maybe a mix of that and, uh, you know, uh, getting over uh, Shanahan leaving and trying to find their identity and who they are. And then I feel like in the second game, or at least last week, they kind of, you know, calmed down a bit and focused on what they do well, and uh, that worked. And then the Lions are trying to be this up-and-coming team, but they're always trying to be an up-and-coming team, it seems like, every year, and they can't seem to get over the hump. So if the Lions want to make some noise, they have to get this win. Um, and it would be huge for them to beat, uh, you know, the Falcons and be 3-0, and and then you could start paying attention to the Lions. So that's going to be an interesting one. And then uh, the third game that uh, that I'm uh, actually looking forward, forward to, like Troy said, is the Seahawks and the Titans. I think it's going to be a test for both teams. I think the Titans need the face of a physical defense like the Seahawks to see kind of what their offense is made of. And I think the Seahawks need to play a dynamic team like the Titans to see what they have going on this year. Because if the Seahawks lose this game and they go one and two, then you're really looking to see, you know, what the future holds for this team. Um, So those are the top three games I'm looking for. So, honestly, uh, I'm looking forward to Thursday night because, you know, just I just want – my Rams to win against the Niners. I know that's your difference of opinion versus mine, but that's my one, number one game. But the other game is pretty interesting. I think the, the one game that I'm looking forward to a lot more is, uh, like like you were mentioning earlier, it's going to be Falcons and Lions. I really want to see what that's going to turn out to be. It's kind of a pretty good matchup. Um, Troy called it out, Seattle Titans. That's my other game that I'd like to look forward to. I don't think – I think everybody's going to be sleeping on Monday night 
because it's really not going to be much of a, I don't think of an affair because the, the Cardinals are, unless the Cowboys kind of snap out of this Denver loss, the Cardinals could somehow surprise on Monday night. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, Troy, let's go to college football. Heisman five. So the state of Oklahoma owns the one and two Heisman uh, winners or runners up for the winner uh, for Heisman trophy at this point. So Mayfield and Rudolph kind of stand out right now. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Baker Mayfield still riding high from that Ohio State win and Oklahoma State. I mean, they just, man, you get in that team's way on offense, it, it is, you, you get in for a long day. I mean, Mason Rudolph, is, he is slinging it around. James Washington, in my opinion, is the best receiver in college football. I thought he was the best receiver in college football last year. This year, he's going to be a consensus uh, top five pick, in my opinion. He's he's big, he's fast, um, he can jump over anyone, and he runs incredibly crisp routes. Teams are really not that high on Rudolph as an NFL prospect, but you know what? As a as a college football player, there are not many better than him, and so I really enjoy watching those teams play. Oklahoma ran into a speed bump against Tulane. Uh, they just had more of the same. Mayfield, he went out there and threw for four touchdowns. He's keeping his name in the Heisman Trophy race. Just really like what both of those teams are doing. So Bedlam this year, as usual, is going to be some. It's going to be a hell of a game, and I'm definitely tuning in for that one. Now um, Barkley puts himself in his name from Penn State. The running back Royce Freeman. Everybody's talking about the Oregon running back. So Holly, uh, there's two running backs in this. Mostly it's quarterbacks as you when you talk about Heisman, but there's actually two two running backs that are in the question now, in question for this trophy? I, you know, I'm excited for Royce. You know, I I think he had a really tough year last year. The entire Oregon program did. And then plus he was injured on and off most of the season. And I think the combination of the two, he was still productive, but he didn't look the same. And I think this year he seems to have captured back his explosiveness. Um, you know, I, I think Royce is a prototypical NFL running back. He he came he came pretty much prepackaged that way when he got to Oregon. And I, I think one of the things that I would like to see him get better at, and that's just as an Oregon Ducks fan because I get to watch him every week, is that he does struggle sometimes against strong defensive lines. Uh, when the holes aren't as big, he's, he needs to work on just finding space and going forward. He does it really well on the goal line. He's he's one of those running backs that you get him on the goal line, he's just going to find a spot and get over the line. But for some reason, sometimes in the middle of the field, it gets a strong defensive front. He struggles with that. So I want to see him get better at that. And then I think if he can get that section to his game, He's he's a complete package, and he'll go in the, in the first couple of rounds in the draft. I think people are sleeping on him because it, he kind of fell off the map, which is unusual. A lot of times there's a slow buildup of hype with these types of players, and he had a lot of hype early, and then it kind of dropped off, and now people are like, oh, wait, he still plays? And I think that that's happening a bit with him. But I, I think he deserves to be in the running, and I want to see him, I want to see him do – what he did against Wyoming against a, a Pac-12 team and see where we're at. But, yeah, I think, as you said, the Heisman is usually a quarterback race, but occasionally you'll get a running back or very rarely a defensive player. 
Um, and it's it's a it's a game in which it's a combination of being a good player and also playing the part. And you have to be the face of your program, and you have to do that that section of it, the media section of it, just as well as you do on the field. But I'm happy to see that there's running backs in the mix because as a former running back, people need to understand how hard that position is and uh, respect it too. All right, Troy, we're looking at Clemson, number two. Alabama hasn't dropped off for number one. Oklahoma, number three. Penn State moves into four. USC, did USC surprise you at all this week? No, um, and, and I figured uh, it was one of the games where, I, you know, we talked about, like, just before we got off the air, it was one of those games where, you know, you got number four USC, and you see that four at the end, but then you're, you know, Texas, you know, they have a new coach, and, you know, they were going to bring it, and they actually did. I mean, it, it, was a, it wasn't it was um, too far-fetched after a while, looking like, you know, Texas was going to pull it off. USC driving the ball down the field with Sam Darnold making crisp passes after, you know, he did throw three touchdowns, but he also did throw three interceptions as well. Um, so, you know, that is a concern for USC going forward, but that was a really tough game for them to win. And uh, Texas bought it. They came out to L.A. and ready to play. And, uh, you know, and they also came out there shorthanded. I mean, you know, it, it was um, – they weren't sure whether or not they were going to get their um, – if they were going to get uh, uh, Shane Bouchelle out there. And Sam Ellinger came out there, true freshman, and, and he looked pretty good out there. I mean, especially for a guy who's making his first start. He threw for almost 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he did have a tough go about it, you know, having two interceptions. But he looked really good out there. And um, it didn't look like that the USC defense was ready for him. But what a great game. I mean, if you tuned in and watched that one, that was an incredible game, an incredible finish, uh, went into overtime. And um, USC actually, they came out and they got the win. Now, Troy, you called it last week. You said uh, San Diego, San Diego, watch out, San Diego State. And uh, look what happened, San Diego State. Here we are. So you can't discredit San Diego State's two Mountain West titles. Very competitive team. They have earned their title, even though it's not, you know, an ACC or an AC, or an SEC title. But uh, you called it last week. I mean, this is like two weeks in a row. You've been kind of like pulling up your uh, little ball of knowledge here, and all of a sudden, here you go. San Diego State takes care of business against Stanford. Yeah, I mean, San Diego State, they are one of those sneaky teams that, you know, when it comes down to it, you're going to have to beat them. You're not going to just – Walk, you're just not going to walk over that team. I mean, and they just seem to always churn out running backs. I mean, you have Donnell Pumphrey. Um, he's the running back that, you know, the Eagles drafted. He's out for the season now. And they're thinking, okay, we're going to miss our all-time, you know, one of our all-time leading rushers. And what do they do? They come back with a guy like Rashad Penny. He came out there and ran against a – he ran 175 yards against a very, very tough Stanford defense. Do not discount that. They played tough defense on that on that team, and they shredded them. And they were just they were very crisp in the passing game. Uh, you know, Christian Chapman he was very efficient. He wasn't going to wow anybody with it, but he was efficient and kept the ball you know out of the hands of the defense. You got to take your hats off to that team, and they did enough on defense to make Keller Chris a little bit uncomfortable. Bryce Love did run for 184 yards, but all in all, you got to take your hat off to San Diego State. They're a tough team. And they are, you know, this week, you know, a lot of teams, a lot of people in the nation are starting to pay attention to those Aztecs 
and the Mountain West is now back being relevant once again. Please, people, if you are watching college football, do not discount those guys out in the Mountain West. They can play some football. All right, Holly, um, Clemson dominates Louisville. That pretty much takes takes away the Heisman race uh, for their quarterback. So uh, what do we say of Clemson? Do we make them number one above Alabama at this point, or do we need to wait and see a couple weeks before that even happens? I think they're very close. I think we still have to wait a couple weeks, um, you know, but I think beating Louisville like they did was definitely a statement game for them uh, that they are back from last year's run and – I mean, Lamar Jackson, I don't know what else he can do. He he threw for 317 yards and three TDs and then ran for another 64 yards on 17 carries, which means he basically has the ball most of their offensive plays, and he's trying to do whatever he can to win the game, which is admirable, but at the same time, football is not played with one player. And I think Clemson is just more of a complete team top to bottom, and that's why you saw the result um, that you did. Uh, I definitely think it was a solid win for them. Um, but, you know, next this uh, this week they play Boston College, but the following week they play Virginia Tech. And I think that's when we'll really kind of know where they're at to see if they're going to run, uh, make a run in the conference uh, or if they're going to get tripped up by Virginia Tech. But definitely a good win for them. All right, Troy, you put uh, Penn State number four. Do you think they're deserving of that high ranking at this point? Absolutely. Um, you know, what they they also have their, you know, they have two Heisman Trophy candidates right now. Also, you got to tr- throw not just Saquon Barkley out there, but Trace McSorley, who had that great duel in the bowl game, in the Rose Bowl against uh, Sam Darnold. And so you have to put him out there as well. He's, al- he's also a dual threat uh, quarterback. And so with that Big Ten, as many teams as they have ranked in the top uh, in the top ten right now um, with themselves in Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, that is murderer's row. If Penn State can come out of there and run the table, it will be very hard to keep them out of being the number one team in the nation and, and, and of course, a playoff berth. So, yeah, they're absolutely deserving of that ranking. Um, but, you know, when, when the – Further, once we get into to Big Ten play, is when you'll really see uh, what these teams are made of because that division is probably the toughest in football. I think they, the Big Ten has actually supplanted the SEC as being the toughest conference, especially when it comes to football right now. All right, uh, Holly, Washington um, isn't higher ranked because they probably haven't played anybody, right, at this point? I mean, because they haven't played any real national teams at this point, so – we'll even there and then you got Michigan at number 8 so um field goals i think five field goals by Quinn Norton um so at this point not and and then you got Oklahoma 9 so what do you say of the rankings at at this point during the in the middle of the rankings between 6 and probably 10 top 10 uh i think it's pretty much what you would expect it to be. I think Washington hasn't played anybody yet. They just had a weak um, non-conference schedule. Uh, However, they do go to Colorado this week, and I think people are sleeping on Colorado, and I think that's actually going to be a really good game. Um, You know, Michigan, I still think they have a very 
strong defense. Um, I think their quarterback, Wilton, is not a awesome quarterback, but he might be decent enough to, to take them somewhere at least this year until they find somebody else. I still think Ohio State's overrated. I don't think they should be at eight, but I think sometimes in college football, your brand as as a uh, program will give you the benefit of the doubt. And this happens every year with Notre Dame, and I can't stand it. It's just because they're Notre Dame, and everybody's like, oh, if they're half decent, they're going to go undefeated. And then it just – I don't know. I hate it. I hate it. But it's one of the things about college football that is you love to hate it at the same time because it makes it interesting. Oklahoma State, I think, is actually really good. I think they deserve to be ranked higher than Ohio State um, for sure. And I think they might be a sleeper team out of the Big 12. Uh, Wisconsin's still pretty solid, but of that group, I think Oklahoma State and Michigan are um, – uh, teams that I would watch out for. I still think Washington is a class of Pac-12. All right, Troy, uh, I'm going to call in here. You've been saying it. Mississippi State, Fitzgerald, they got a good defense. I got a chance to watch that game. Um, so what do we say of Mississippi State now? I mean, that was just against LSU, pretty much a statement game. Yeah, I mean, Mississippi State, they absolutely came in and made a statement. I mean, they not only beat LSU, but they beat them easily, easily. And you do not see an LSU team who is really known to be a defensive stalwart team and a team that runs the ball. You don't see them get pushed around like that. I really can't even explain what happened in this game. I thought it would have been a much tighter game, but you really have to take a look at that that Mississippi State team and ask yourself, what are they going to do in this division, in, in, in this conference? I mean, right now they're 3-0, and and you know, I mean, when it comes to, especially when it comes to college kids, their confidence is sky high right now when they beat up that LSU team out there. They, I, I, I bet right now, okay, I bet Mississippi State right now would have loved to have played Alabama right after this LSU game. Because you oh, yeah, not for sure. That, that would have been sweet. That and, would have you been know sweet. What? They're not gonna, oh, my God. I mean, their confidence right now is sky high. And it's not going to be long before they get another test because they have to go into Athens next week between the hedges, and they have to go play the University of Georgia. That's going to be a 7 o'clock game on ESPN. That is the game that I'm definitely keeping my eye on because when that game comes on, you're going to see two SEC teams that are really ready to fight it out. And you want to see if Mississippi State can sustain that kind of momentum that they have. These are one of the teams where a team comes out of nowhere in college football and all of a sudden thrusts themselves into the national spotlight and they become the darlings of everyone. If they can sustain this run, look out for Mississippi State going forward because they have some really tough games coming up. And if they go on a run, they've beaten LSU. If they beat Georgia after that, they have Auburn at Auburn. If they can win all three of those games, look for Mississippi State to be a top 10, possibly a top 17 after that. All right, Holly. I mean, I'm, this this team is surprising. I think they go. I think they went from what 14 slots to be at the at this ranking, which is very impressive. That's a huge win. Probably makes them what second best in the uh, SEC at this point, right? Currently in, the, in within this this these early weeks. I think you know, like, like Troy said, it's a, it was a great statement win for them, and and only time will tell because. During the college football season, 
sometimes what happens is you'll get a mediocre team that will bite a uh, a better team, and then as the season progresses, that win will actually kind of diminish a little bit because it'll just kind of be an anomaly. So what Mississippi State has to do is take that momentum and continue to play at a high level and continue to work because they're in the SEC and it doesn't get easier, uh, you know, going to teams like Georgia. And that game will be a crucial game to see for both teams because Georgia is still working with a true freshman quarterback, who I'm really high on, but still – Georgia has some tough games coming up. So we're going to see kind of who these teams are in this game. If Georgia's for real, that they're able to make a run with a freshman quarterback, if Mississippi State is for real and it's not just an anomaly on LSU's uh, schedule, this is a game that will be key in, the, in deciding that. Uh, Troy, when you got a coach saying, quite honestly, they're tired of not getting credit, this is a Kentucky do you slap them around or what? What do we do? Do we slap them and say play play a better uh, competitive schedule or what? Because the, I guess the Wildcats are three and L since 2010, and the coach is tired of the fact that uh, nobody's giving no, nobody's giving his program credit for being a good. So they're uh, ranked 17th at this point, so they're moving up. They moved up nine points, I guess, nine slots up. Well, I mean, you know, that's a really a big galvanizing point, especially when you're dealing with kids, is that, you know, that's one of the things that you, you can hear in any locker room. We're being disrespected, and they use it as a motivating tactic. Um, I'm of the mindset of letting things like that come naturally. Um, it's just a simple fact that if you win games, you will get respected. And if you win big games, you will be respected. Uh, Kentucky hasn't done that a lot. And so um, – you know, when it comes down to it, are they going to um, are they going to win those bigger games? You know, you will get your respect. It, I mean, just especially in the in the conference that they're playing in, in the SEC, they will win some games. So, you know, a team like Mississippi State, they're going to come out and you know um, they're going to be on some teams. And when it, when it comes down to it, you know, um, after if they win those bigger games, because they got three, they have two big games coming up. And then their schedule is a little bit light after that. And then you have Alabama right there in the middle of that schedule. You know, you have your chance to get that respect. So, you know, all you have to do is play. You just got to be out there and play those games. All right, guys. So, uh, Troy's got a bail here because he's got some uh, commitments or else. So, let's, Troy, what are we looking, what three games are we looking forward to this weekend that fans can dive into? Uh, one second, I'm pull my schedule up. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. So we're going to be a pretty exciting week because, uh, like I said, we're, the, the rankings are starting to tighten up. Uh, you know, Clemson trying to make a claim for number one. Um, based on what poll you follow, if you if you follow the AP poll, the CVS poll, uh, it just seems like, you know, an alphabet of polls. But, uh, Holly, what's your poll that you follow while uh, Troy's getting his uh, schedule put together here? Um, what's the poll that you really? I usually lean on the A people a little bit more, just because it's usually the one when you see a game on TV, like ESPN, will be like number five against number seven. They usually use the AP. I've noticed, so that's yeah. usually why I lean towards using the AP, just because people seem to follow it more. 
Right. So, Troy, the same thing. Do we go with AP poll at this, as more credible at this point? They have Alabama first, Clemson second. But if you look at other various polls like ESPN and everybody else, sometimes, you know, the, the number between one and five, it usually changes pretty frequently. But uh, is that who you go with though, as well? Yeah, I mean, I usually go with the AP poll. Um, you know, to me, it's, um, you know, it's frustrating when you look at the coaches poll and, you know, some of these guys are just voting for their friends. You can kind of tell that. Um, so, I mean, you get it. It's a good old boys club, and, and you know, you, you have to do that if you're in that position. But, yeah, I, I definitely pay attention to the AP poll. All right, so Troy, all, big you know, three for you would be what this coming week? Game, big three games for me. The first one is, is, a, uh, is a big 12 tilt. Uh, you got TCU and Oklahoma State. Now, TCU right now is ranked number 16. Oklahoma State is number six. These two teams right now are are, are really um, our high-scoring teams. you got Kenny Hill on the other side for TCU and Mason Rudolph, um, you know, for Oklahoma State. But the difference is, is that TCU, the Horned Frogs usually come with the defense. Um, they are really known for defense. Maybe not so much in the past few years, but they've kind of uh, gone back to that where they really had to focus in on that defensive side of the ball. And they're going to have their work cut out for them. Between Mason Rudolph and James Washington and all of those uh, those, cal- those high-caliber athletes on that Oklahoma uh, State sideline, they can come in droves and they move the ball pretty quickly. TCU is really going to have to try to control the ball, and they're really going to have to play some solid defense um, up front and also in the secondary because t- they, uh, OSU is really going to come at them from every single angle. They're really going to have to be on their on their assignments. That's the biggest thing: is are you going to be able to play assignment football with these guys? Because Oklahoma State will is known to get defenses out of position, which is why you see all of these big plays coming up. So this would be the matchup where this would be like number one challenger to Oklahoma, per, pretty much, right? It would be like the oh, guy yeah. that comes out of this, this challenger, Oklahoma. Okay, so what's the second game that we're looking at for you? Second game, uh, I've already spoken on that one, will be Mississippi State versus Georgia. I mean, this is going to be between the hedges. Um, you know, you got Jake Fromm. He's, he's uh, coming out into his uh, second start this season. And, you know, last week, I mean, they had a tune-up game, which they really needed. But, you know, Fromm is really starting to get comfortable, and he is an absolute leader. And even though he is a freshman, if you look at his numbers, he has five touchdowns. He only has one interception. That tells you he doesn't make the big mistakes, and not to mention he has some. He has two of the best running backs. He has the best running back tandem in the nation between Nick Chubb and also with Sony Michelle back there. They really have they have it together on that offensive team with the offensive line and the running backs. They can really rely on that running game to get Jake Fromm comfortable, and he is not shy about throwing the ball. Mississippi State, what are you going to do when it comes down to it? This right now is your proving ground. And they know that. So they beat LSU, and I'm pretty sure they celebrated a hell of a lot down in Starkville on Saturday night. But now you're moving on. You're going down into Georgia. This is a business trip. Are you going to be able to sustain that momentum going forward? Uh, Fitzgerald comes in there as a quarterback. He's thrown seven touchdowns. He's been impressive. He's been probably uh, the biggest shock of the season for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Are they going to be able to go into Athens and win that game? That's going to be a huge test in the SEC, and that will really go a long way as trying to figure out how that division is going to show up at, at the end. All right, number one game you're going to be watching 
that we should be watching? Number one, number one game. I got to throw. Uh, I got to throw Oregon and Arizona State in there. Um, Oregon is now in the top. They're back in the top twenty-five. It's been a long road, but you know what? They've got their program going in the right direction. Are they as explosive as they were when Chip Kelly was there? Probably not. But you, they are absolutely going in the right direction. And they get to rely on a guy like Royce Freeman, who is, in my opinion, one of the best running backs in, in, in the uh, in NCAA right now. Uh, he already has nine touchdowns on the season. And so he was highly touted coming out of high school. Um, he had to deal with a few injury problems right now. He looks about as healthy as ever. And if you ever see this guy, when he gets the corner on you, you might as well just go ahead and go to the sideline because that guy, he is the absolute stud, and you want to see this team pick up that momentum. The Pac-12 needs another team out there to take the onus off of. I mean, it's not just USC and Washington right now. Stanford is kind of falling off. For Oregon, this is prime time right now to get back into that national spotlight. They're ranked number 24 right now. Arizona State right now is down, but it's still a division opponent and you're still going to have to bring your A game and have to go into Sun Devil Stadium to play this team. You really want to see how Oregon's going to equip themselves. Uh, is Oregon really going to get back to Oregon Ducks football where they were on the map with all those crazy uniforms, but also that great offense? All right. So, Troy, I know you got to go because you got some uh, commitments that you got to deal with. So we're going to be looking out for those three games in the college scene, the three games in the NFL, and we'll see you here next Tuesday in terms of what happened and, who came up with an upset and who's actually going to move up in the rankings, as you're saying here with crucial matchups coming up. So um, we'll see you uh, next Tuesday. So safe travels out there, buddy. And uh, hope you have a great event as well. And uh, so our Holly, that leaves the both of us to kind of debate. So your three uh, are who for the uh, college football. Um, I think I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to start with Washington at Colorado. I think Washington hasn't been challenged yet, as we spoke about before. I think Colorado is a team that still is is really good, and I'm not sure why people are not giving them enough credit. Um, you know, you're talking – Troy was talking about Oregon. We took Colorado's defensive coordinator, Jim Lovett, um, for our defensive coordinator spot, and it's made a world of difference. And I still think Colorado has enough talent that they're going to challenge Washington. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens with that game. Um, the second one would be the, the Mississippi State-Georgia game, just because I feel like uh, this is a key matchup in the SEC uh, the, to see where the chips are going to land as far as who's going to uh, compete in that conference. Uh, I'm really high, again, uh, like Troy said, I'm also high on, on Jake Fromm. I watched, I don't know if you guys watched the show um, uh, QB1, but it's this uh, reality show where they, they follow around uh, high, high school senior quarterbacks that are highly recruited and kind of like a Friday Night Lights type of feel mm-hmm. to it. And so I was watching him and um, in that uh, show, and he just seems like he kind of has that it factor leadership thing going on where he doesn't have any fear of the big moment. And I think there's going to be natural progression as he gets more experience, but I think he's going to be really, really good. 
He has a lot of size, too. He's a big guy. He can see over the line. He has a good arm. And I think he just needs a little bit more experience. And I think he's probably going to make it to the NFL. Um, the third game, um, yeah, Troy took it right. Troy kind of stole my thunder. It's the Oregon at the Arizona State game. You know, mm-hmm. as an Oregon Ducks fan, last year was so hard to watch. It was just so bad. And it's amazing how night and day the program feels. When uh, I went to the Oregon and uh, Nebraska game a couple weeks ago, and even the feeling at Austin Stadium, it, it's that's where it was before the decline uh, last year. And the energy levels back. There's kind of the swag that we that we lost last year is back on the defensive side. And I know that uh, Oregon is known for the offensive side of the ball, and rightly so for the, the recent history. But I got to tell you, it's the defense that's really impressing me right now. The offense, uh, the last couple games, has been on fire in the first half, and then they've kind of put, they've kind of packed it in a little bit with the play calling and got a little conservative in the second half. But the defense, no matter what's going on, that they're swarming to the ball, that the scheme that they have now is so much better suited to the personnel they have than than it was last year. I like the intensity, and I got to tell you, I got to I got to do my own guy's horn here. And, and Troy Dye, the the linebacker for for Oregon, that is my favorite player by far on this team. He is a player that flies around, flies around like crazy. He's always around the ball, and if you watch film, he's one of those guys that doesn't even matter if the play is towards him, he's going to end up around the ball. He just makes plays, and he plays hard. He hits hard. He's exciting to watch. And he's only a, a sophomore, and he was doing great things as a freshman last year. I think he he's going to be playing on Sundays for sure. And another key piece that I want to point out is Oregon played Wyoming uh, this last week, and everybody and their mother was talking about Josh Allen, the quarterback for Wyoming, who had all this hype about you know being the number one draft pick. And they had, I think the announcer said, 17 uh, scouts in the stands for this game watching this kid, and he just looked atrocious. And and I'm looking at Justin Herbert, and I'm like, I'm, I would take my guy right now over Josh Allen any day. I think Justin Herbert is actually going to be a better prospect, and he's grown a lot from, from being a freshman last year to a sophomore. So I'm really interested to see. We need to do it against the Pac-12. And as Troy said, the, the teams that were supposed to be in the second tier of the Pac-12 have kind of dropped, and I'm not mm-hmm. quite ready to say that we can take that spot. But I gotta tell you, I'm excited because our, our uh, recruiting class for 2017 was pretty pretty strong with our new coaching staff, and 2018 is scary strong. It's a it's a top five class right now, and wow. so we can get these classes gelled together, we're going to be really good in the next couple of years. So anything we do this year for me is just icing because I know the real meat of how good we can be is going to be in a couple of years. So I'm interested to see if we can do it against uh, Arizona State. They're a little bit down this year, but it's still a real game in your console. It's something that if you want to turn the corner, you have to get. And uh, so those are my top three. Awesome. So it looks like, you know, two of the matchups or one of the matchups is really the interesting one, which all of us want to see. I think Mississippi State 
based on their win, uh, we, we really want to see that matchup this, this coming week. So that's one of the games that we're really focusing on. Um, just to let everybody know you can order your favorite stop at Zazzle.com, all the no-joke football uh, gear at the no-joke football shop. You can save up to 30% off daily. Use the daily codes there, Zazzle.com forward slash Great Iron Beauties. Uh, every sale that goes through there, uh, we make about 3 bucks on um, every sale, whether it be leggings or T-shirts or any of the gift stuff, and that money gets uh, put together into the shop pool. From there, we basically send out gear to a high-level MVP athlete in a league globally that plays women's American football, and so then we start promoting them on social media to bring attention to them. Uh, Christian Moran, Lauren Evans, got Phoebe Sketchler. Um, there's a lot of players internationally that we're working with still, um, and you're going to know their names and faces. If you go to our Instagram gallery, you're going to get to see some of the amazing athletes that play women's American football globally, not just in the U.S. or North America, but Europe and pretty much every part of the continent. Uh, and there's, the sport is growing. The sport is growing to the point where there's uh, football in Brazil now. There's football in Morocco. There's football in Egypt. Um, so there's, a, there's, you know, in places that you would never think women would want to play American football, there is an opportunity there. Now we're talking 11 on 11 full kit. We're not talking lingerie style or anything like that or legend style. We're talking actually NFL full kit. So the sport is growing, and that's what we try to do is a devotion to those athletes uh, to get them noticed, either on social media, so that people locally can get them to understand and then support their league and support themselves and support their teams, grow the sport that way, and get some sponsorships for their local uh, clubs as well. So um, go to Zazzle.com, forward slash Great Iron Beauties, or you go to the Facebook uh, page where you got the Shop, Shop Now tab as well, or you can go to the link on our Twitter feed and then go there as well. So, um, so at this point, we have uh, the women's uh, recap to do. And I want to give a shout-out to the, to the Nevada Storm. And if you guys haven't seen the, uh, the Nevada Storm at uh, Twitter.com, so uh, Nevada Storm IWFL, they did an amazing promo on Instagram and Twitter, so shout-out to them. I don't know if you've seen it, Holly, but it was a pretty nice promo done uh, for the tryouts of the upcoming season and obviously for the 2018 um, campaign that's coming up. So um, pretty good promo. Yeah, it's it's it, I I did see it and it was, I think it's pretty awesome and it, again you know marketing is our biggest tool to progress our sport and so anytime we have any production or marketing materials that we can put out there it's just going to help the sport grow because more people are going to know about it so yeah well well done to them for sure and I think a lot of the promos that you do on social media are not video formatted. And I think a lot of it has to be that way now because it, it, it grabs more attention. You know, you guys, uh, Seattle Majestics have done uh, promo videos for tryouts for the last, I think, three years. And you can see the impact. I'm pretty sure there's, you know, you get feedback from, you know, whoever is running your social media account that the videos have more of an impact in terms of gathering attention for the team and also having interest and go, wow, what is that? And then kind of dive into it and then kind of give you more of a positive uh, result in, in, in the, in the way where somebody's going to look at it and go, I want to try that. Why not? Where is it at? And then the opportunity is there for them to show up at tryouts. Well, the, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, cause I've been looking into a lot of this, you know, for my day to day job and, our attention span as a culture is a lot shorter now. And I think I read somewhere that the attention span uh, 
a goldfish is eight seconds, and now our attention span um, on average as a human being is seven seconds. So literally we have a shorter attention span now than a goldfish. And, you know, that's why you'll see so many pushes uh, with online marketing and social media. It's because that's where everybody is. It's no longer really – the bread and butter is no longer the billboards and newspaper ads. It's it's all right. online because that's where the, the population is now. And so the more interactive you can be, the more video content, the more pictures, the more links – the more polls that you can get, the more interaction you can get with the, with your fan base, the better because it's exponential. Because if you post a promotional video about your tryouts and somebody likes it, it will show up in, in their feed. Or if they share it, it will show up in their feed. And then you've got sure. access to an entire group of people that you didn't have access to before. So if another person in that group likes it or shares it, then it just got even bigger. So that's yeah. why all these companies are doing it, and that's why we as a sport and individual teams need to continue to develop it. It's so impactful, and uh, not everybody does it, and that's I think that's one of the drawbacks for the WFA and the IWFL is uh, the leadership there needs to really start to understand that. I know individual owners do because, you know, you've got the Majestics ownership, you've got certain ownerships like Nevada, Storm, and you've got other, other you know, prominent franchises in the, in the league. They understand it, but I think the – leadership under the branding and when i'm talking about the league branding they need to start up upping their game that way you know i mean they they need to start helping out with promoting some of the top tier teams uh yearly so that you can get uh the attention get to the point you know like a dallas a boston a pittsburgh a seattle you know uh that kind of stuff you that and then people understand oh wow there is you know there is nfl style you know franchises just like, you know, the Washington Redskins, just like the Seattle Seahawks, just the Niners, you know what I mean? So then people start to see it in that light, and then obviously it gives you more credibility. Yes, they've definitely gotten better, uh, but there's still some progress that needs to be made. And um, I, I think they definitely have improved. The website has gotten better. Um, I think of all the leagues, I think WFA does the best when it comes to this mm-hmm. side of it. By far, and I think they just need need to continue to do what they're doing, and and grow um, as quickly as they can on that side. Because really, we're only going to go as far as our marketing goes. Yep. And because that's basically our lifeblood, and so the more we can develop that side. Um, as a league, as a sport, and as individual teams, the better we're going to end up being. Okay, here's here's a shocking drama. Let's go to drama in women's tackle football because we we don't get drama often, but sometimes we get drama. <laughs> and so this week we get drama. Okay, first it was IFAB splitting, right? So here's two, mm-hmm. as you would call it, two neighbors at the cross of the fence and going. I don't care for you anymore. I'm moving on. I'm leaving. But I still love you. But I'm leaving. <laughs> so we got IFAB New York and we got IFAB Paris, right? So now mm-hmm. certain countries had to make a decision, piece of the pie. Half of the pie you're going to eat on this side because it's flavored your way or the other side of the pie. So we made, we made the cut, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden <laughs> uh, we, we, we forced Football Canada to be the leader on the IFAB New York side. So we forced Football Canada to step up and say, we're going to be the leaders 
we're going to represent we're going to re- uh, present a world women's championship in Vancouver and this is where it's going to be, right? So right. I thought Paris basically because USA football apparently goes with IFAB New York as well as Mexico, Australia and every other country that participated in Vancouver. All of a sudden, the IWFL instead of going with hey, let's just go with I- let's go with USA football. Now, let's go with the United States Federation of American Football. <laughs> which linked themselves with <laughs> IFAB Paris. So, uh, you know what I mean? It's like this just gets to be no good for progression, no good for moving the sport forward to get yourself in a limelight. Uh, as an athlete, Polly, I mean, I don't know if you're disappointed or I, I don't know if you're happy. I mean, if you're an IWFL athlete, you're like, okay, well, I just we just got into Olympic status uh, through this group. And we're going to go to whatever championship the IFAB Paris puts up. And if you're in USA Football and you're in the WFA, you're like, okay, well, we're going to we're going to go sanction to any event in New York. So we're, we're now we're we're literally divided. No different than the WFA and the IWFL in the states, which I think it's a shame in re, in all reality. I think it's a shame that this happened. Yeah, I think there's a couple issues. Um, my experience with women's football is I think because it's a fairly new uh, endeavor to the general public. I mean, it's been around, but as far as the the popularity, obviously it was not what it is now in previous years. I think when you have any kind of new business venture or any kind of new industry or any kind of new section to an industry, there's always going to be fights about which direction to take it and the vision that that entails. And you're going to have different groups that will separate and splinter off. So you have that side to it. Then you also have um, a side that I really wish would get better in women's football, which is the side of, gosh, I don't like what you're doing at, at this team, so I'm just going to branch off and make my own team because I think I can do it better. And so I think you've got a combination of both going on with this situation. And as an athlete, I mean, there's good and there's bad. There's good because there's options. And then it's bad because women's sports, we don't have the built-in structure that men's sports do as far as the respect and attention. So men's sports can really survive division and, and different sections because people are always going to want to watch men's sports. Women's sports, we don't have that yet. And because of that factor, the division actually hurts our progress as a whole because we're less credible and less visible. The more splintered we are, the less unified we are, which means the less likely people are actually going to take it seriously because they're going to just view it as a section rather than an entire organization or entire sport. So there's good and there's bad. I'm hoping that it's kind of a temporary phase in which there's a vision so that the, the the two sections can eventually get back on the same page and have a better structure. I'm hoping that's what happens. Yeah, and unfortunately this happened, <laughs> and it happened in 2017 when everything was going somewhat in, in a good, you know, good light, but we had, you know, the potential for that. Um, so I, I just think it's just politics in that regard. I mean, there was to me it was pretty clear in Canton 
the IFAB Council said, sorry, Mr. Wanking, you're out of you're out of that. We've decided to go forward with another president. And all of a sudden we got chaos because that person decided that 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 wasn't the right call, that he shouldn't have been ousted. And so here we are. Now we have, you know, one side going with, you know, the USA chain and the IFAB Paris, and then you got the other one going. So it really hurts the international aspect of it to, you know, to take it maybe to an Olympic state because that's where it was going. It was going to be like introduced like USA softball, just like, you know, anything else. And we were going that route to try to introduce women's American football and maybe in a Olympic style format or presentation, but now it's up in the air. So um, let's go from bad news <laughs> and let's go to good news. Um, so good news is um, the Cleveland fusion uh, just a couple of days ago announced that uh, former USA member of the 2017 team, Elizabeth uh, Dillow, and I'm pre- I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Dillow. And uh, so she will be named head coach and general manager for the 2018 campaign. So congratulations to her. It's a big task, but the fusion has come a long way. Since I've been following for four years, this team has progressed and progressed and progressed, and they've been in the playoff contention for the, almost the last three years. So, uh, you know, if she can move it one more notch over, wow, just in the playoff state and get them into another level, it's going to say a lot about her, her commitment to obviously not just the team, because she's, she's a staple on the team. Now she's going to be a bigger staple for that franchise, marketing-wise and obviously general manager. And part of USA football, she's a winner, so you can tell right there that she really wants to get this uh, Cleveland Fusion team to another level. No, I think it's it's great news for them. Um, as I said before, I think a, a lot of uh, the progression of the sport in the next generation is going to hinge on this generation as we start retiring if we can get enough people to stick around the sport and in some capacity as far as coaching, being a part of the business side of it, um, the more of that group that we can get to be in those roles, the better for the sport. Um, so I think it's going to be great for Cleveland. They've always been fairly competitive, and I think that uh, it's going to be really good for them to have her in that role and to continue to progress. I, I think it's going to be great. All right, so we got uh, Jen Walker's new book, Play Big. You can get it on Amazon as well. And now she announced that the book is also now going to be available on audio starting in October. So if you haven't picked it up, go to Amazon.com. Uh, play big. It's going to be in book format plus audio. Uh, you can follow her at jwalker47. You can get the details there and the links to the Amazon uh, launch as well. You can do a pre, pre-book buy on Amazon, and I'm pretty sure both will be able to do that. So play big is coming up in October here. Um, I want to give a shout-out to uh, El Paso Times, which covered um, um, Love, it, uh, Love It Tovar out of uh, El Paso. Which was uh, she plays uh, football on a girls on a boys team, uh, kicker as well. So she's been really great out there. She got a feature there. Also, shout out to our phenom Samantha Melton out in Arkansas. She was spotlighted on Spirit 52 episode two. You can go to our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, and our our No Joke Football brand page. You can check her out there. The link as well. She was featured on Spirit 52 episode two. So that great, awesome job that they did there for him. And then uh, Bryant University announced hire of Phoebe Skessler. She went from Buffalo Bills 
to Bryant University over in, I think it's in Rhode Island. So congratulations to Phoebe for continuing to be a, a pioneer and just a trailblazer. So, um, and Phoebe is part of BAFA Women out of the UK. She played for the uh, three-time champion Birmingham uh, Lions as well. And so uh, congratulations to Phoebe. And here you go, um, Holly, we talked about it. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, but we keep pace with them. And here's a perfect example. And then we had another uh, thing come out of our newsfeed. Uh, Beth Bug, uh, Bug Leone uh, became the first female high school coach in Colorado. We had a female first high, uh, first high school coach in Miami a while back. Now we have one in Colorado. So there's making ends roads there as well. Um, so a lot of opportunities coming about for certain women to, to go into coaching now and really take a lead. And some of the youth girls that we're talking about here, Savannah and uh, uh, Lave Tobar um, and Christy as well before that, all these girls are just up and coming. They really want to get make an impact in terms of getting into college. Um, so it's really just it's, it, it's kind of a positive and excitement thing that's happening. I, I definitely agree. And the funny thing is, is uh, Beth was actually my first coach I ever had. She coached me in Little Corrales, Oregon. Um, so she's she's been coaching for a while. And then um, and then uh, Phoebe is also somebody that I've known a long time uh, through football. And it's great to see her get those opportunities. I think she's very very smart. And I think that uh, she's going to make a great coach. And so anytime we get any of these opportunities, it's a win for everybody uh, involved in the sport. And I think, you know, the more youth we have playing, the better. And I think really the next frontier uh, is to continue to develop the youth, to continue to develop the youth in high school. And then we need to infiltrate college a little bit more, I think. I would like to see either female college program or I would like to see female players that are not just kickers um, get into the game because I, I feel like that would be a great platform to get more attention for our sport. So, but we're getting there and I'm, I'm excited to see it. And every, every week there's something new and it's great to be involved. All right. So the first international bowl uh, happened last year in Mexico. The second international bowl was in Canada, and we're talking about um, the, uh, two, the two organizations. Uh, MIFA, MIFA football out of Canada plays both sports, full kit, 11-on-11, and also plays legend-style ball. So they invited FXL, LFB um, it, from Mexico to compete against the MIFA Lady Longhorns in a uh, legend-style matchup which happened, and you have the highlights there on our Twitter feed. You can catch the game, the full game there, as well as on via YouTube. And then they also had the second, the second matchup. They invited uh, players from Lexfa, Lexfa from Mexico, 11-11 uh, squad, versus a MIFA squad as well, 11-11. So it was Mexico versus Canada. So you can catch both games on our Twitter feed and also on our Facebook page. You can go there and catch the games. Highlights there, pretty, pretty impressive matchups, international bowl event. Um, so it was really awesome. Uh, the other uh, big story this week was Yahoo Sports did features on women in football series, and it included uh, a lot of the things that have happened in the last 12 months or so, including uh, Sam Rappaport's efforts at NF- in the NFL, um, and then obviously um, what uh, Sam Gordon's doing in Utah, trying to get the prep schools in Utah to kind of put together uh, girls' football 
uh, in terms of their high school aspects as well. So there's a lot of features there. You can check out all the features on our on Yahoo Sports features on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. And that was well done, uh, Holly, that women in football feature because it kind of put different elements of, of where women in football is, you know, like the pro level, the uh, youth level, and then the high school level as well. And then it kind of gave a perspective in terms of the game and where it's at. No, it was a really well done article. And, uh, you know, anytime we get that kind of exposure, it's a good thing. And it was a really good read too. I enjoyed um, how it was put together and the structure of it. And I think, uh, it would be really important if we continue to get uh, articles like that. So, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and the other one we got to give credit to is uh, Mark Stefferi, uh, who's been with us uh, since 2009. He does an amazing job. He, color, he co- covers women's uh, hockey as a, as a primary, but he does have his uh, you know, love for women's uh, gridiron as well and w- women's American football, and he writes for Canada Football Chat. And once in a while, he does spotlights on amazing players and primarily Team Canada in general. So check out all of Mark's stuff on our Twitter and Facebook page, or you can follow him at uh, Mark Stafari as well on Twitter, and you can get his link there. The latest feature spotlighted um, Team Canada member uh, Lawrence uh, Pointbrand from uh, Montreal Blitz, of now the WFA. And so you can check out his article there as well. And he's done articles on pretty much on everybody, not just in Team Canada, but in Team USA. He's also done articles on international players like Christy Moran. He's also done articles on Legends-style uh, players as well, like Amanda Ruler and others. So he's done pretty good pieces on that. So take advantage of good read. And Mark's uh, very pro, and he's, he does an amazing job. So he's uh, part of the Canada Football Chat as well. So uh, Holly... Let's go into another event. So what happened internationally, always ongoing. And since the NFL season is with us, college football's in the States, Gridiron Australia, front and center for us. So um, Gridiron Queensland, week five, the results, Cody Fuller and the Logan City Jets win 14-8 versus the Thunder. Lauren Evans and the GC Stingrays take care of the Spartans, 68-0. Crucial game for the Jets. We talked about that last week, Holly. This was a must-win for them. They had to beat the Thunder in order for them to stay in contention. The win gives them a 2-2 two and two, uh, for the season, so they are in fourth place in uh, Gridiron Queensland right now. And uh, so three spots above, and you've got to make the playoffs. Top four teams make the playoffs. So this is a crucial stay for the runner, runner-up uh, team from last year. Uh, and then the champs, obviously, n- no big deal. They rebound here. They, they get the win. Uh, they're 3-1. and one. So they're right there neck and neck with uh, Bayside Ravens who are undefeated. So uh, it's a good weekend for the Jets and the Stingrays. Yeah, no, definitely. It looks like it's getting uh, a bit more competitive, and so I'm looking forward to see uh, uh, what the results are for next week. Um, But it's looking kind of interesting now. Yeah, and next week you've got Jets, Stingrays, in a battle, how's that? How's that work out? You both get the win, and all of a sudden, now you got to go two and two against three and one. The winner, obviously, you know, if uh, uh, Stingrays lose, they're three and two, and the Jets would fall to two and three. And then here's the upside: if the Jets somehow muster the win, they're three and two, and um, the uh, Stingrays go to three and two, and they kind of even them up, and they'll be they'll be basically tied for second and second and third at this point. So it's going to be an interesting matchup in week six, right there in Queensland. Uh, Greater New South Wales, week three, 
Uh, it was uh, the Raiders, 28-16, versus New, uh, Northern Sydney Rebels. So they get the win. Raiders undefeated so far. Uh, Northwestern Phoenix, which is last year's runner-up, 22-8. They take out UTS Gators. UTS Gators previous week took care of the Phoenix. This was a back-to-back matchup. So uh, the Phoenix somehow get the rebound win here. And the Phoenix trying to stay in contention, obviously, to get back to the Opal final, which they met the Raiders on. So right now, Holly, this this crucial matchup, because there's only about five teams in this league, so every game matters so much that every loss also matters so much. You know, the wins are great, but the losses are even more devastating because there's only so many teams. Yeah, when you're in a, a league or a division like that, you're right, every game does matter. And then, you know, if you're playing the same teams multiple times, you get to know them very well. And so it makes it even more of a challenge because it's more of a a continuation of the same chess match that you have going on. So anytime you have that type of situation, it it can make it um, actually way more interesting to see the matchups within the matchup. So that should be fun. Yeah, and uh, the the good thing about this league is it's everybody knows each other, <laughs> so you know because there's only six teams or five teams, everybody knows each other, so you know what who's going to bring it the week the week after, and you, since you have it, sort of a rotating schedule where you're going to face that team in two weeks or in a week and a half or three weeks, you pretty much know where you stand in terms of where you're whether you're going to make the playoffs or not. So it's kind of like, like I said, it's really sort of this league is I, I equate to uh, the LFL in a lot of ways because there's only six teams. So every game is amplified to a max. You know what I mean? So you're, one loss right out of the box puts you already at a crucial state where you're, you might not make the playoffs. It's, I mean, that's that cutthroat. So I guess, you know, th- as a player, that's got to drive you uh, insane or it's got to make you really good that if you, every win really matters, you know? Probably in combination of the two. Yeah. I think when you play multiple times against the same opponent, you get to know their tendencies and they get to know yours, and that's where the chess match continues. It's kind of like a longer series, uh, like in the NBA or baseball playoffs, where by the time you get to game six or seven in that series, everybody knows everybody. They know exactly what they want to do, and you have to continue to counter uh the other team's adjustment. So it makes it very uh, intense. All right, so we go to Green, uh, from Green Iron New South Wales. Let's go to Brazil, uh, the Brazilian quarterfinals of 2017. And we're looking at Flu, uh, Fluminense, uh, Cariocas, the Warriors, uh, Edge, and they barely in a nail-biter. And it was an awesome game. We got some coverage and some, uh, some feedback shared on Facebook on, on just photos themselves. But it was a re- real big game against the big riders football um, for, for football American club. So uh, the girls 24, 23. So Holly, this was just a last minute. Somebody just got a field goal, edged it out. Um, it was just that close of a game. 24, 23. Uh, Flumentian uh, returns to try and return back to the finals at this point for this year. Um, so, but a, a one point loss, just devastating. Definitely, especially if you're if you're that close uh, to uh, you know the marquee game, like you're, you're working the entire time, you're working towards that game, and to be one game short and, and to lose it by one point, it definitely it's definitely tough. 
And those losses can be harder to swallow than if you just got blown out by a better team. Because what you do afterwards is you, you play the what-if game. And you're like, what if I did this? Or what if we tried it this way? Or what if that didn't happen? And it can be harder. It, it stays with you longer when you lose that type of game. But at the same time, you, you do feel close enough that you have a little bit of pride in it. But then you're it kind of makes it worse at the same time. But, um, I mean, and, but if you win a close game, it can be a great momentum momentum boost into that final game for you uh, because you've been tested and you came out on top. All right, so Fluencio Carioca's Warriors, they're going to be taking on the Sino Coyotes, which won 32-8 against the uh, Curitiba Silverhawks. And so a uh, pretty easy win for the Sino Coyotes. They're in line to return to the finals. Um, they, these two teams will meet next weekend the weekend, uh, this coming up weekend, I believe. And so the winner of these of this matchup is going to be taking on the Sao Paulo uh, Pistols. And so that will be the final. Um, so we'll know the dates in terms of when the final will be. So Brazilian uh, Brazilian finals here are the quarterfinals, and then we got the semifinals coming up next week, and then we'll have the finals on top of that. So congratulations to those teams that move on to the semifinals. Uh, the other uh, a league that I didn't mention was uh, Gridiron Act out of um, – Australia and the Central Spears with your girl out there, uh, Amy DeGroot, uh, 28 to zero, taking on uh, beating up the Diamonds, the Act Diamonds. So she's having a great season out there in Australia, coming off uh, the Seattle Majestic season. So she's obviously looking for the championship in Act Gridiron, and it looks like it's going to be for her. So it's and she's an outstanding, outstanding player, quarterback, athlete. So DeGroot doing her thing over in Act Gridiron. So you got to be very proud of her. Uh, definitely. I mean, Danny's not only a good player, she's also a really good person. And I think, you know, coming over here, um, I think uh, can only help her uh, progress as a, as a, as a player. And I'm excited that it, it seems to be working out well for her, but she's one of those people that no matter what she does, even if she uh, was going to be a violinist or if she was going to be, uh, you know, a shipping clerk or anything that she was going to put her mind to, she was going to be uh, good at it because she works really hard. She has a great work ethic. So go, Danny, go. Yeah, she's done great. So it looks to me like they're in, the Central Spears are in line to obviously take the title and at Great Iron for 2017. So um, she's doing really good there as well. Um, Guam women's football in the island, the Pacific Rim Sun Bowl, number three, the third annual and the results came in last week. We talked about uh, how the um, island, uh, the island stunners won 22 to six versus the, the visiting Cobras from Russia. And the Cobras, obviously, no match for the stunners, 22 to six. But you know, they were the host. They got hosted in the island. And then this week, the combination of Team Legacy, six-time champion Team Legacy, with the combination of the Japan Blaze Cats combined team, mutual teams on each side, 22 to zero, shut out the Cobras. Uh, it was called off by because due to lightning, and I believe in the third quarter. So other than that, uh, it was a great event. This event has been third annual event. So now they're looking for next year. Looking forward to next year. Uh, try to see if they can bring another Japanese team, maybe another a team from Philippines, or another Russian team to try to make it more of a tournament tournament. So congratulations to Linda Salas out there with the Guam Women's Tackle Football League which they've done an amazing job with this tournament for three years in a row. So, Holly, this is you would never know that there's uh, women's American football on an island 
out in the Pacific. No, and uh, that's the great thing about it is is one of the things that I think uh, you know the women's game does well is the international side is just growing like crazy, and I hear all the time about these new countries, uh, these new programs in these in these different countries that I never thought would have football. Period, let alone women's football. So it's really exciting and. Um, it's it's really great that these that these people are working really hard to to bring the sport in their country and develop it. And I take my hat off to them because I know how hard that is, and and I hope they continue to to work at it. All right, you get the uh, all the highlights and all the coverage. You can go to the Bud Light Women's Tackle Football League on Facebook. You can go to our Twitter feed and our Facebook, and uh, you can always get the links there, and you can go see and check them out. And uh, like I say, congratulations to the Island Stunners, the Legacy, and the Blaze Cats. But you know, more so to the Russian girls who made the trip from Moscow all the way down to Guam, um, you know, and uh, made their effort out there. So congratulations to them for making the trip out there and being competitive as well. Um, the Grand Army Germany final, it's all set. Ladies Bowl, 26. It's going to be September 24th, and it's going to be the Mays Golden Eagles taking on the Berlin Cobras. Berlin Cobras have owned this league. I mean, own it. There's no question on it. If you, if you want to talk about the New England Patriots in the NFL, um, you know, that kind of uh, – the 49ers in terms of dominance, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or whatever, the Berlin Cobra ladies have owned this. Uh, seven, seven years in a row they won the championship, and then they got a little lapse here and there. But overall, I think it's 11 titles. So, Holly, this says a lot about their program, not just a, you know football in general, but their program, where they get talented, talented, talented people every year to come out, and every year they're number one and number two, and every, almost every year they're in the finals. Yeah, anytime you have something that is a duration of 10 or more years, it tells you that the, the structure for their program is solid. And that, uh, especially in the game of football, and that uh, football can be, you know, very taxing on your body, and there's a lot of turnover uh, from people physically as well as just life stuff happens, and maybe somebody goes away or gets a new job or something. So the fact that you have that much success means that you're able to recruit and also um, and train and develop people in a way that you're successful, and that that that's awesome. So, congratulations to them. I hope I hope that they continue at it. Yeah, and they've done like back to back to back to back to back championships, and then they've taken like you know they get knocked off one year and they go back to back, and then another year and they go back to back. But they they they've been able to prove that they can, you know, rebound and rebound and rebound and come back and get the prize. Uh, Mays Golden Eagles, I will tell you right now, if you guys are listening, because I know they're probably listening on the international group boards, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Mays, this is your biggest challenge. And if you can beat Berlin, my God, that is like the ultimate. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's, it's almost like when the Giants took care of New England uh, when, when in their perfect season. Remember that? When they just, they just cut yeah. off their 18-0 and 0 start? This is the team of that level. And if you can beat them in the final, that says a lot about your program. But Mesa struggled during the season. They got here um, to this level, and they're they're deserving to be in the final. But they're at no, as far as I'm concerned, they're at no level like Berlin. So that's going to say a lot about them in terms of coming into this matchup. 
how bad do they want it? And do they want to beat the juggernaut? Because that's really what it ends up on September 24th. So Ladies Bowl 26, uh, part of the AFVD um, in Germany. So um, the other uh, championship that happened was in uh, Ofasa. Uh, Ofasa is in Mexico. It's in the Caribbean side of Mexico. It's in Yucatan and Merida uh, on, the, um, you know, on, the, on the left side of the coast. And the Yucatan Leones, the Lionesses, uh, fall to the Cancun Buca, uh, Bucaneras, the Buccaneers, 22-0. to zero. Congratulations to the Buccaneers. You can see the, uh, the highlights of the game, first half and second half, on our Facebook page as well. And that was on Ofasa out of Mexico. So a lot of, a lot of leagues to cover. Um, your brain could explode, but ours doesn't because it's pretty safe in a cranium. So we're all good to go. But uh, that's where it's at. Um, the other announcement was a Legends Football League announced their 2018 season kickoff will be April 14th, 2018. Plus, they are planning three European all-fantasy tours starting in Poland and two more dates to be announced. So they're going to be kicking off in January of 2018 to March. They're going to have the all-fantasy teams. They've had that in the previous years where they've gone to Mexico, Australia, and they've gone, uh, I believe, in Canada as well. So they're looking to go to Europe, to Europe this time around. So that was the only announcement. So it's pretty much all caught up to date on the gridiron scene. If you want to get the latest and everything that ha- is happening in the women's game globally and internationally, you can always follow us on Facebook at Gridiron Beauties and also go to our Twitter for daily at Gridiron Beauty. Um, so, Holly, the, the installment that you had for yourself, is it coming back out? Or where can they read, read about the previous installments? Um, so I've been pretty, uh, busy at work the last couple of weeks here, but I'm halfway through the next installment. So I hope to release it, uh, early next week. You can check out the previous two installments on, uh, relentless21.wordpress.com. Uh, um, or you can also find links on, uh, Facebook under relentless21 or Twitter under relentless2121. Um, there's links there to the page, and um, again, it's basically talking about uh, the female athlete in the role of uh, history as far as feminism is, is concerned, um, and uh, I really enjoy writing this piece. It, it takes a lot of time to research it, um, but I actually like that because uh, I got my degree in history, so I'm kind of a nerd like that. Uh, but that's where you can follow it. And it's been a great piece. It's the last three pieces um, that we put together or that you've put together and we've posted on there. They've gotten to get feedback as well. So it's uh, enlightening, like you said, and it kind of shows the history and the progression and how we're at where we're at now and how things are going to evolve from here. So it's, it's a great effort. What's the link again? Uh, Relentless21.wordpress.com. All right. Um, Holly, we got tryouts co- happening in the WFA and the IWFL. In the WFA, you can go to WFAProFootball.com. You can go to the IWFLSports.com site as well. Check the links. Um, there is, should be logos for every team. And if you're in a particular state, you can get uh, in contact with them via email or via their social media sites as well. So any, uh, any tryouts for the Majestics? Yes. Uh, we actually have one this Saturday uh, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to the website at uh, com, and there's a link uh, with information to it. 
um, or you can check out uh, the Seattle Majestic on and there's also information there. Perfect. And we also have Lexfa FX Mexico and WWCFL and the Maritime also in the off season. So you can always uh, check out those if you're in Canada or Mexico as well for participating in those leagues as well. Um, the Legends Football League is in the off-season mode. You can always follow them at LFLUS.com and get the latest information there as well. Um, so I think it's pretty good. Uh, looking forward to college football this weekend, the Mississippi State game primarily. And in the NFL, it's, uh, it's us, Holly, Rams, Niners. No other game for me. It's, just, it's Thursday night, color rush. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, I'm hoping it's not a game where I think it's going to be, where it's going to be, I don't know, like five or six different field goals between the two teams. I'm hoping it's going to be more than that. But (laughs) we will see, because I don't know. I might have to go out and play some quarterback for my team, because we're we're struggling (laughs) there. Nice. Uh, you uh, you You have Cap's number on speed dial. Maybe you need to call Mr. York and see if you can get him back in there. Yeah, I, I wish I had that kind of pull because if I had that kind of pull, <laughs> I'd be making a lot more moves, actually. <laughs> hey, look at you, the GM already. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a good game. I think it, it, it's always a good matchup between the two, and hopefully, like you said, it's not one of those field goal games. Maybe we get some touchdowns and high-scoring game with the you know the teams that they have. So we'll see how the Shanahan against uh, McVeigh should be a pretty exciting game. I'm looking forward to it on Thursday. All right, so that's going to do it for us, for the absent uh, Troy Wilson, who took off early because he had some uh, special things to do there. And for Holly Custis, uh, Oscar Lopez Sr., we'll catch you next week for more exciting uh, insights and uh, see what the college football week brought in forth and the NFL week as well. And we're looking forward to more Gridiron Women's News next week. So check out our Facebook page or our Twitter feed, and we'll catch you here next week. Make sure, make sure you subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcast. You get the link on our Facebook page, and also follow us right here on Block Talk Radio. So, Holly, that's it. We'll catch you here next week. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you uh, next week at uh, 9 p.m. All right. Thank you. Have a great night, everybody. <laughs>